Amen. Let's pray. Father, may we have that spirit and that commitment in serving you, in following you, in loving you. Help us to give all of ourselves. We could truly change our lives and change our worlds with a commitment like that. We pray now that you will visit with us as we study your word. Speak to us, Lord, and and challenge us to seek you more deeply. In the precious name of your Son, we pray. Amen. As one of the most recognizable names in inventive history, Thomas Edison's numerous innovative ideas and creations are legendary. We've all heard of him. He held more than 1,000 patents, a record that was only very recently broken, and he developed groundbreaking patents and technologies like the electric light bulb, the phonograph, batteries, so many other things. But despite his outstanding success, Edison failed very frequently. In fact, sometimes it took thousands of attempts, literally, to perfect his experimentation. That was exactly the case when Edison was working uh, to devise a novel battery storage solution. And according to his close friend, Walter Mallory, Edison had already tried and failed 9,000 times. 9,000 experiments resulted in failure. He, He failed to find a solution. And when Mallory commented about the lack of results and, and, and perhaps you know, giving up on this one, Edison promptly responded, results? Why, man, I've gotten lots of results. I know several thousand things that won't work. <laughs> he was often ridiculed for his countless failures. Edison made over 10,000 attempts before finally demonstrating the world's first working light bulb in 1879. Years later, in the 1920s, A journalist asked Thomas Edison, how did it feel to fail 10,000 times? And Edison simply replied, I didn't fail 10,000 times. The light bulb was an invention with 10,000 steps. He was relentless in his pursuit of inventions to better the lives of of human beings. He worked 10-hour days in his lab and an additional five-hour days, five hours a day, doing research and problem-solving. 15 hours a day, he never gave up, despite failure after failure, despite obstacles, despite criticism, he kept going. Can you imagine failing nine, 10,000 times at something? After about a dozen, I'd say, it's not my thing. Well, despite the frustration, despite the criticism, despite the, the humiliation, despite the obstacles, he kept going. He got up and kept going. He gave his all. And that's true commitment, isn't it? That's commitment to a cause. Joshua knew something about that, didn't he? Turn with me in your Bibles or look up at the video screens to Joshua chapter 24. Here we find Joshua who has taken up the mantle of Moses. And the Israelites have journeyed out of Egypt and out of slavery to the promised land. The journey was fraught with hardships and and difficulties and trials and doubts, and fears, and most journeys to a new place are. And along the way, there had been rebellions of one kind or another, loss of faith in leadership and in God, weariness, discouragement. And when confidence in leadership began to fade, 
Loss of order and discipline soon followed. We remember the story of the, the golden calf that Aaron, Moses' own brother, cast to worship in the absence of Moses. Cameron talked a little bit about the Israelites' rebellion this morning. And sadly, it, it doesn't take long for human beings to lose hope and slide into rebellion during times of waiting in the dark, waiting in uncertainty. When times get hard, we don't see God come through for us right away or like we think He should for us. That's when we need to exercise our faith the most. But sadly, too often, we rebel, we backslide. We seek comfort in available distractions that we know are wrong. Or we try to manufacture our own solutions, often under the guise of God's will for us. We can identify, can't we? These behaviors are nothing new. Scripture has been chronicling them since the beginning of time in order to teach us what to do and what not to do. So at this time, it's a very important time in the nation's history. Joshua realizes that the people have a decision to make. He gathers all the tribes, all the leaders, all the judges, and he makes it clear that they are at a crossroads in their journey, in life, in their history. And this would be the dramatic last gathering of Israel before the passing of Joshua. So let's read Joshua chapter 24. We're going to start in verse 14. Now fear the Lord and serve Him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God Himself who brought us and our parents up out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed these great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because He is our God. Joshua said to the people, you're not able to serve the Lord. He's a holy God. He's a jealous God. He, he will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, He will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after He has been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people. And there at Shechem, he reaffirmed for them decrees and laws. And Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. Then he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak near the holy place of the Lord. See, he said to all the people, the stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the words the Lord has said to us. It will be a witness against you if you are untrue to your God. 
that Joshua dismissed the people each to their own inheritance. What a gathering. Joshua presents the challenge. They're reminded of all that God has done for them, all that he brought them through. The slavery in Egypt. The journey through the desert into the promised land. They're reminded of his providence, his power and miracles. And then Joshua presents the choice. Choose to commit to God or choose your own way. The choice of commitment is the same one that's been presented throughout the ages. It's the same one we have today. And it's an individual choice. It's not a corporate choice. It's, it's not a community choice. No one can choose for you. You've got to make the choice yourself. Commitment isn't inherited. It's personal and it's forever. Or it should be. So often we see or we hear <clears throat> about people who commit to Christ only later to find out they've fallen away and now they're living a life completely apart from God. And we wonder how, how this can happen. And perhaps you find yourself there today. The prevailing reason is because those who choose to commit to Christ do not understand at the time the depth, the gravity, and the characteristics of that commitment. Joshua was very clear. He didn't mince words. He describes three characteristics that are required to make a true commitment to the Lord. We're going to look at those carefully today. First, a true commitment must be a complete commitment. Total commitment. Verse 14 says, Now fear the Lord and serve Him with all faithfulness. All faithfulness. There's no room for some faithfulness. Partial commitment, part-time dedication. True commitment is total commitment. What, what does that mean? Well, there can be times God asks difficult things of, things of us. Right? And there can be times God asks many things of us. And if we're totally committed, we don't pick and choose. We don't follow and obey only the things that are easy or the things that are convenient or the, the things we like. We don't follow when we feel like it. If we're totally committed, we follow regardless of the emotions, regardless of the agreement, regardless of, of the cost. William Barclay once said, Faith is not only a commitment to the promises of Christ, faith is also a commitment to the demands of Christ. We don't commit only to the blessings and the promises. We commit to the hard work. We commit to the difficult decisions, the, the tough asks, the lonely stands. That's a wholehearted commitment. Second Chronicles 19.9 tells us, And he charged them, Thus you shall do in the fear of the Lord, in faithfulness and with your whole heart. Total commitment is with our whole heart, all our heart, and throughout all our lives. That kind of loyalty is a, is a commitment that's not natural to us. We've been conditioned as a society to quit. You don't like your job? Look elsewhere. Find another one. Marriage not working out? Divorce. Your city not exciting enough? Move. Staying has become a lost art. Words like loyalty and commitment are slowly eroding from generation to generation. 
a Forbes article titled, Job Hopping is the New Normal for Millennials, records the effects of our younger generation's lack of commitment in the workforce. This article says that the average worker stays at each of his or her jobs for 4.4 years. But the article says that the average worker, that's uh, the youngest employees, the millennials, stay for just two years. Less than half of the average. So what happened to loyalty today? And it's not just the millennials that have a lack of faithfulness. According to another study, starting with the baby boomer generation, approximately 42% of marriages between the ages of 18 and 46 end by the age of 46. Almost one half of all marriages. Our society has conditioned us to take commitment lightly. Right? We're encouraged to commit until. Commit until you find something more exciting. Commit until you run into something you don't like. Commit until you hear something that offends you. Commit until something becomes too demanding. Friends, a true commitment to Christ can't be that way. It's a forever commitment. No giving up, no turning back. We get rid of the distractions that keep us from a total commitment to Him. Shut the door that, that you keep eyeing in order to walk away if Christ demands too much. Be all in. Jump in with your whole heart. That's a complete and total commitment. There's nothing more important. There's nothing that should distract us. There's no turning back. There should be no plan B, no other option. I love this story, and I've shared it before. In 1519, the Spanish explorer and conquistador Hernando Cortez decided that he wanted to seize the treasure that the Aztecs had been hoarding. The Aztecs were a, a, a powerful, powerful, uh, had a powerful army and had been around for 600 years. No one could conquer them. They defeated all of them. So he took 500 soldiers and 100 sailors and he landed his 11 ships on the shores of the Yucatan. And despite his, his large army that was under his command, he was vastly outnumbered. And they knew it. It was a huge and powerful empire. They'd been around for 600 years, well-established. So some of his men were not convinced that success was possible at all. And being loyal to Cuba, and they were close there, he tried to, they tried to seize some ships, some of the, the men, and escape to Cuba. Well, Cortez got wind of the plot, and he captured the ringleaders, and he wanted to make sure that the remainder of the men were completely committed to the mission and his quest for riches. So he did something that seemed completely insane to his people. He gave the order to sink his own ships. And his men resisted, wondering, how are we even going to get home? And his answer was, if we're going home, we're going home in their ships. And so he did. He sank his own ships. And the, the path forward was clear for Cortez. All or nothing. 100% commitment. The option of failure was gone. Conquer as heroes or die. And by doing this, the, the level of commitment of the men was raised to an extreme level. Much higher than anyone could have imagined. Now it was life or death. And incredibly, they succeeded. They succeeded in this unlikely feat. In 600 years, no one else had been able to conquer 
the Aztecs and plunder their riches, but he did it with 500 men. They were able to do it simply because there was no alternative. There was no choice, no fallback. The ships were gone. And the only alternative was death. And the lesson is this. Retreat is easy when you let yourself have the option. Total commitment means no retreat. No distractions, no options, no plan B. True commitment must be complete commitment. Amen? Amen. That's the first characteristic Joshua calls out. The second characteristic of true commitment is that it must be exclusive. Verse 14 of our text goes on to say, Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Throw the others away. Choose the Lord. You find yourself torn between so many commitments. Is there anything or anyone in your life holding you back from a commitment to Christ? Then you've got to get rid of it. It's got to go. If it's keeping you from a true commitment to Christ, it's keeping you from a fulfilled life. And when we think about it, there are so many things in our lives that we're committed to, right? Our families, our friends, our neighbors, our careers, our employers, our health. And these are good things. And Scripture supports commitment to them. Ephesians 6, 5 tells us to work hard and obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you'd obey Christ. Mark 12, 31 tells us, love your neighbors as yourself. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 espouses the importance of a commitment to good health. There are many examples of Scripture supporting these worthwhile commitments, but the Bible also teaches that the chief commitment of our lives is God Himself. Jesus said in Matthew 22, 37 and 38, He said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. If loving God is our greatest duty, then the love we show Him outweighs any we direct to anything, anyone else, to any other pursuit in our lives. So this, in effect, means that God is or should be our first love. Our commitment to God should trump every other commitment we have. And God is a jealous God. He will not share us with other loves, other commitments, other pursuits, nothing above Him. Joshua goes on to emphasize in verse 23, he says it again. Now then, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And we think, boy, that's so demanding of God. But the benefit is not His. The benefit is ours. He knows a divided heart will never be a fulfilled heart. He must be our priority. It's not something to be taken lightly. An exclusive commitment to God means that given an either-or situation, we turn away from anyone or anything else and continue on with Christ. Many of us have stories about running around with the wrong crowds, and when we come to Christ, do we keep that same company? Same company that dragged us down? No, we don't hang around the same people. 
We don't keep doing the same things. We've made a turn. We've made a change. We've chosen a different path, a different crowd. And the bottom line is that those who can't make that kind of commitment cannot be his disciple. That's the cost of discipleship. God first and above all else. Is he your first commitment? Is he your exclusive commitment? Is he at the center of your life and your very reason for living? Bob Geldof was a, was a British rock musician who decided to do something about the famine in Ethiopia during the early 1980s. He put his own career on hold and he spent an entire year of his life organizing fundraising events for dozens of famine relief organizations. He was the inspiration behind the song, We Are the World, and the big uh, Live Aid event in, the, in 1985. His efforts raised more than $100 million towards famine relief. Later, Geldof wrote a book that sums up his experience. The book is called, Is That It? And Geldof recognized that even though his accomplishments were significant, after all was said and done, he couldn't escape a feeling of unfulfillment. For more than a year, the famine in Ethiopia has been, had been his reason for living. And after all he had accomplished, he realized that hardly a dent had been made in the problem of world hunger, and his efforts brought him no peace of mind and no fulfillment. And this is not to diminish what he did. He certainly did a great deal for world hunger, a worthwhile cause, very noble cause. But it, 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 his experience underlines a simple truth. No matter how lofty your goals are, if Jesus isn't your first commitment and at the center of your life, your very reason for living, you'll never find lasting fulfillment in this life, in any pursuit, in any endeavor, in any quest, in any relationship or career, in any goal. It won't be there if Christ isn't there. Pavel Polos, a Russian exile, explained it like this. He said, in Russia, Christians are tested by hardship, but in America, you're tested by freedom. And testing by freedom is much harder. Nobody pressures you about your religion. So you relax and you're, so, you're not concentrated on Christ. You're not concentrated on his teachings and how he wants you to live. It's true, we have so many distractions. May our commitment have a sense of urgency and a sense of focus. May we concentrate on Christ and tune out the myriad of people and things and causes and pursuits that so easily distract us. That's an exclusive commitment. Amen? So true commitment to Christ is a total commitment. It's an exclusive commitment. And our third and our last characteristic is this. It's a constant commitment. In verse 20, Joshua warns, If you forsake the Lord, and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been so good to you. A true commitment is not only forever, it's constant, it's consistent. It's not when I feel like it. It's not every other time. It's, it's, it's not, I'll try it. It's not one and done. You know, there's, there's a misconception in Christianity today that a commitment to Christ happens once, and we're done. Don't change anything. Don't think about it again. Go on with your life and live in freedom. That's not a true commitment. 
Salvation happens once, but commitment to walking with Christ, commitment to living a godly life is daily. We don't get saved again, but we commit our lives, our attitudes, our, our priorities, our passions, our pursuits to God on a daily basis. Every day we must crucify our wills. Every day we must seek Him through Scripture and prayer, come to Him and open our hearts, ask for His strength. We can't do it on our own. Nobody expects us to. He's there for us. He will walk with us. He will give us the strength if we seek Him. Every day, we must make the Lord and His principles our highest priority Amen. and our guidelines for living. Imagine if we treated marriage vows the way we too often treat our commitment to Christ. Yeah, I'm married most days. I pick and choose the situations in which I honor my marriage vows. God forbid. That commitment must be a consistent, constant one. And how much more should our commitment to Christ be? There should never be a question on any day or for any decision where you stand. Your commitment to Christ should dictate your actions on a consistent basis. I uh, remember talking to a professing, professing Christian I met in college, and he told me this. He said, I take my commitment on a day-to-day -day basis. It's fluid. I, I see what the day brings, and I go with what I feel. I adjust my commitment to the things that are in front of me. Well, what he was actually saying is, I have absolutely no commitment. I make decisions based on the circumstances at the time. Commitment means that certain decisions in our lives are made in advance. Irrespective of all circumstances, I will honor Christ, whatever the pain and whatever the cost. I will obey God's word, even when it's the hardest thing to do. I will do what God has called me to when it's draining as well as when it's fulfilling. There's no other way to follow Christ. Your stands are constant because your commitment is constant. You know, businesses understand this. They understand the importance of making decisions in advance. The vast majority of effective organizations have some kind of mission statement, right? A company can't succeed if it keeps shifting its objective. You can't decide what to do from scratch on a week-to-week -week basis. You have to have an overarching objective that enables you to prioritize your activities. And it's precisely the same way in our personal lives. You have to know who you are, why you're here, and what you're supposed to be doing. That's why it's called a, a Christian walk, right? It's not a Christian step. It's not a one-time event. A walk is step after step after step. It's constant. And a true commitment is a constant commitment, consistent and renewed every day of our lives. May we stay consistent. May we stay strong in our commitment to Christ. Galatians 6, 9 encourages us, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the right time, the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Let's keep going. Let's keep going in our devotion and our commitment to the Lord. Every day, let's give Him our will and take His in exchange.
That's a constant commitment. So a true commitment, Joshua is clear about this, is complete, it's exclusive, and it's constant. May we give him our all. May we give him alone our all. May we give him alone our all every day and forever. Total, exclusive, and constant. A missionary society wrote to David Livingston, the great missionary, and they asked him, have you found a good road to where you are? If so, we want to know how to send other men to join you. Livingston wrote back, if you have men who will come only if they know there's a good road, I don't want them. I want men who will come if there's no road at all. That's the kind of commitment we want. Let's follow hard after Christ in the good times. Let's follow hard after Christ in the bad times. Let's follow when we see the road, and let's follow when we don't. And through it all, always remember the benefit of a true commitment to Christ. It's ours. Do you think the Lord needs our commitment to accomplish His work? For his kingdom? No. Did Jesus need that little boy's lunch to feed the multitudes? No, he, he could have easily called thousands of fish to jump out of the Sea of Galilee. But he used that little boy's offering to show him and the disciples what he can do through us when we give him our all. What if I gave all? Commit to him fully and watch Watch what He can do in your life. Watch what He can do for you. Watch what He can do through you. Friend, how would you measure your commitment level to Christ today? Is it a total commitment? Have you given Him your all in every area of your life? Is it an exclusive commitment? Have you placed Him as the priority of your life above every other person or pursuit? And is it a constant commitment? Do you commit to Him daily and unwaveringly? We all have work to do on our commitment level, don't we? He's worth it, friend. He asks much of us because He's given much to us. He picked us up out of the dregs of this world. He died for our sins. He cleaned us up. He walks with us daily. He's blessed our lives immeasurably, and He's prepared an eternity in heaven with Him forever for us. He's worth our all. He's worth our total, exclusive, constant commitment. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for what You've done for us. We're thankful for your son who died on Calvary to ransom and redeem us back to you. We're thankful for your providence and your blessings. We're thankful for your presence in our lives and your promise for our future. Father, we want to live completely committed lives to you. Help us to give you our all. Help us to be totally committed to you and whatever you ask of us. And we want to we want to be committed exclusively to you. Help us to put you and your work above everything else in our lives. And Father, we want to be constantly committed to you. 
Help us to walk with you daily, consistently, and unwaveringly. We want to have the true commitment that Joshua chose. We want to stand as shining lights for your kingdom and echo his words. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We love you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.